Welcome to All About HR. I'm your host, Tom Horn, and I'm on a journey to learn about all things HR. I'm documenting my conversations with thought leaders, HR professionals, and real employees about everything from recruiting, workplace of the future, benefits, you name it. We're all about HR. Let's go. Welcome back to All About HR. I'm your host, Tom Horn. I am super excited about this episode. This will conclude our first round of guests, uh, all from People Element. Always thought it was going to be the best idea to just ask the questions of the people that are around me that I've been waiting to ask uh, as I've worked with them for the last 18 months. So it's been a great start to the podcast. Really, really enjoyed the conversations and super excited for my conversation today with our guest. We're going to be talking about learning all about IO psychology. And I'm super excited to welcome Ali Elsacer, who will no doubt help us learn a thing or two on the topic. Ali was a South Florida native before driving out west at 21, where she incidentally discovered IO psychology. After finishing college, she decided to earn her master's from the University of Colorado in the practice, and she now serves as the VP of product development at People Element. Welcome, Ali. Hi, Tom. You know, I, I have to ask, I've read through this intro a few times. How did you just randomly discover IO psychology? Like who just stumbles upon it? Yeah, no, I mean, that's exactly what happened. It wasn't something that was when I went to undergrad that I feel like anyone talked about or I even knew I was in psychology and everything was very much on the science side, not on the people side. I managed a coffee house all through college. And then that's really where I started working and understanding a little bit more from the business side and working with people. And then I uh, moved out to Colorado, did a bunch of random jobs, and um, I just looked at going back to school. And that's where I, I really did just find a course on IO and what it was about. It seemed interesting. And once I did one course, I then joined the master's program. So it, it just wasn't anything I even knew about or that people talked about. Not like they do now. I feel like now people do talk about work psychology and org psychology a lot more. So it wasn't planned for, but it's been a good fit since. That's awesome. I'm glad I'm glad you followed that path. <laughs> uh, you, you mentioned a couple of things I want to jump into, but we always start our shows asking everybody, what are you listening to right now? I always have an Audible on. I love fiction, um, and there's just something about being able to throw in a book while I'm driving or doing something. It's amazing to listen to people kind of tell that story. But I think in terms of podcasts, I listen to a lot of Smartless and then Armchair Expert is something Dax Shepard that a friend had turned me on to. And I didn't think I was going to be interested in it at all. And then I started listening to it. But it really is just about being human, learning, growing, and he has fascinating people on. And I just always learn something new. So if you haven't heard of Armchair Experts, I would give it a listen. It's pretty, pretty cool. I've heard of it. I have not listened. That's you've now piqued my interest. So <laughs> that's awesome. So let's let's start at the absolute ground floor with regards to our topic today. And I was more ashamed to admit it until you admitted that you hadn't heard it. And now this is what you do. So I'm less ashamed to admit, but I had not heard of IO psychology until just recently. So really, let's start. What is IO psychology? Well, first off, you shouldn't be ashamed that you um, haven't heard of it. Why should you really even know about it, to be honest, until now that you're in this space of HR? Um, and that's why I love what you're doing, because 
you can admit that you don't know what you don't know and you're seeking out information and learning about it. So I think that's pretty amazing. Um, in terms of IO, it's all about people. So it's that learning and understanding of how people think and feel and behave at work. And really what we're doing is looking at how organizations are structured and the working conditions they have that really best support people. And probably whether you realize it or not, you've been part of kind of org psychology or work psychology. At some point in your work life, you've probably thought about how to make work not suck, right? Like what can be better? What can make you happier? Um, You've probably tried different things. You've probably moved on to different organizations just to kind of get a sense of what would better support you. And that's really all about work psychology and what we in our company were doing and what we're working with other organizations to do. Wow, that's great. So it's at its roots, making work better for people so it doesn't suck. (laughs) That's, That's exactly right. I mean, I feel like that's just what I think about from the first time someone talked about IO. You can get into all the details and the scientific part of it, but to me, that's what I relate to. And I feel like that's what we relate to as a company. Excellent. Well, I'm definitely going to ask you to take us down some of the scientific part. Um, but just a little more history. Is this something new that organizations are leveraging? Has it been around a long time? Has it been around a long time, but just growing? Where does that fit into the workplace today? So it's been around for a long time. I don't know, whatever we might consider a long time being, if you think about when I started really getting into it, it's been almost 20 years. And I feel like it was, it really felt relatively new then. And now I think a lot more people are talking about it. They're talking about well-being. They're talking about people's actual experiences at work. So I think it's growing. I think it's getting really big. I think it's getting really big right now with people like Adam Grant, who's doing a lot of podcasts and different things. And he's an org psych and putting books out there. I think there's a lot of learning and talking right now around it. So Right now, I feel like it's a really exciting time. Yeah, certainly, uh, certainly seems like it would fit right into the uh, to to what organizations are needing for today. Now, right. Are there different, you know, with IO psychology? It seems like a pretty specific concentration. Is there are there specific areas of concentration under the fold of IO psychology? Yes, it gets pretty broad um, and expansive. I feel like we work with a lot of people that are in training and consulting, talent development talent management, organizational effectiveness. So I feel like there's a lot of arms to it. And depending on the organization and the size of uh, the organization, there are a lot of different parts to it because it's all still about working with people, working with employees and putting those structures in place. So it can get pretty big and broad. Yeah, I can imagine. Now, this leads me to a question you may or may not know the answer here, but I always wondered, is IO psychology what the organizational development folks do? Or is that two totally separate things? No, I mean, they absolutely are a part of IO psychology, the work psychology part of our work, employee relations. So I feel like depending on the company, you can call it a lot of different things, but that the root being behind really how can we make this a better place for people? How can we help it also be good for the business, that productivity side? It's all part of that same spectrum of of really work psychology, if you look at it in that way. So it's all, it's kind of all muddled together. So that helps, but now I'm even more curious. So if anyone's listening that's in OD or knows somebody in OD, I definitely want to talk to them and go down that rabbit hole more. I was hoping I would solve it in one swoop here today. I don't think I can actually give you the answers on all that at all. Um, For me, it's all around people and there's all these pieces of it. And everyone I talk to has a different aspect and kind of a different take on what they do that helps to 
help employees at the end of the day and help the company. Um, but there's definitely a lot I don't know. So let's talk about a little more of what you do know. So who benefits from IO Psych in the workplace? Like who most benefits from IO Psych in the workplace? Well, it should be. I think the people, which is the employees as well as the company as a whole, right? So they should be working together to kind of figure out that balance of what's going to help the company be successful, but really the people are the root part of helping that company be successful. So how are we supporting them to do that? So it should really be working together. So how do so how do HR working professionals, how do they apply some of the IO psychology methodology to their daily lives and to their to their working lives? Yeah, the way I think of it is is thinking like a scientist. And that's what I think can really help us rethink what we know. So when I think about the smartest people I know, they're the ones who who admit um, what they don't know. And so, I mean, that's the reality is there's a lot of things we don't have answers to. And we shouldn't feel like we have to pretend um, that we know everything. So there's been so many times in my work life where I had no idea what someone was maybe talking about or referring to, and it's uncomfortable. And I realize I have a choice in those moments, right? I can pretend and kind of nod along and, and think I know what someone's talking about, or I can just ask questions, which is not as comfortable, but it's really something we need to do to try to learn and get more information. And if I think about our role in HR as leaders, it's taking a step back and just asking questions and trying to get more information. So I feel like if we can position ourselves to think more like scientists, that will help us to make better decisions. Yeah, that's great. So as people are doing this, starting to try to think like scientists, like how do they get into trouble here? Like, like where can you go wrong? Like what should, as I'm trying to start thinking more scientifically, like what are some of the pitfalls I might want to watch out for? Well, we're human. So the biggest thing is it's, I think it's easy for all of us to kind of hold tight to our beliefs um, and our values. And it's hard to sometimes allow room for change. We can be pretty stubborn, right? About um, some of the things we believe in. And so it's really just stopping and letting ourselves realize there's a possibility that we don't have all the answers. There's another side to this. I think a big part of that is kind of trying to avoid confirmation bias, I think is a part of it. Would you mind expanding? What is confirmation bias? What does that specifically refer to? Yeah. So confirmation bias, it happens when, when we're looking for information that already supports our beliefs and our values. And we ignore all that data that goes against what we believe. Right. So this is what can lead to making biased decisions because we're not really actually factoring in all of the data and all of the relevant information. We're only looking at the side of it that already fits what we believe. I feel like I could probably do a whole show asking questions about confirmation bias. I'm going to put a bookmark and remember that one. We're going to take a quick break and then we're going to jump right back into the conversation. This has been awesome. We'll be right back. All right, Allie, it is time for the HR Hot Sauce questions. Are you ready? I'm ready. All right, let's go. What's the best job you've ever had? Managing a coffee house at night when I was in college. What's the one phrase at work that drives you nuts? (laughs) When someone says they're going to flesh something out. Do you like working on rainy or sunny days? Rainy. How can someone make your day at work? Um, random gifts, note, like memes that are not work related that I'm not expecting that people just send and crack me up. 
love that. Best useless skill. Recalling random, obscure movie show actor names, things that most people don't even know what I'm talking about. That. Do you like mild, medium, hot, or nuclear? Medium hot. <laughs> I'll accept that. <laughs> and your favorite interview question to ask or be asked. What are you watching on TV or listening to now? I love that one. I think it just gets to the kind of the, the heart of what's going on with someone. You know, I like that one. Thank mm-hmm. you, Allie. You are done with the HR hot sauce. Let's get back to the conversation. All right. We're back. Talk about IO psychology with Allie. Jumping right back in. Where can HR and companies do better in terms of people leadership regarding a more scientific approach? So we had just gotten to talking about what individuals can do, but how can organizations help help leverage this more? It really is being curious. And if we are taking that scientific approach and we're thinking like scientists, then it is realizing and admitting that we don't always have all the answers and there is another side to what we're looking at. Um, So we need to ask questions and we have to collect data to actually check those assumptions. And so it's kind of like creating a hypothesis where we we think we might know what it is, but we actually need to go test it. Right. We need to go get data and information. And I think one of the things people can do or companies can do is help create that framework for rethinking. Um, And that's something that that we've talked about sometimes internally, um, we'll call it like our zombie management technique. And that's one of the ways that a, a company can help build in that framework. Uh, did you say zombie management? That Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Uh, is, is Are that you a familiar technique? with that? <laughs> I, I've never heard of that. Uh, it's, it's definitely a little too technical for me. What is zombie management? Yeah, I, it's not all that technical, and I don't know what you would actually find if you Googled it, but it's something that came out um, a few years ago that we kind of talked about internally. So, one, have you ever seen the movie World War Z? Yes, but it was a long time ago. Refresh us uh, with, okay. uh, with the setting here. So, it's a zombie movie. Yeah, zombies. Um, and so, we've got Brad Pitt. He's the main character. He's searching for kind of a way to stop the zombie pandemic. And in the process, he finds out um, that a giant wall was created around the city of Jerusalem days before the zombie outbreak. And it protected all the people from the pandemic. And so it led to the question, what did they know, right? And as a way to create this giant wall before it even happened. And that's what leads us to the zombie management technique, which is really, it means that within your leadership team, within your company, within your team, you have to have one person, at least one person that can take the other side of an argument. In this case, someone might take the side that zombies do exist. And instead of ignoring that data, they actually go explore, what would that look like? If that was the case, what would we do to protect ourselves? And so it's, it's kind of the same premise as a devil's advocate, really, where you still have one person, if everyone else is agreeing on something and they're on board, you need to have that one person who adopts that opposing view and defends it no matter what. So you can really be checking yourself on those assumptions. And that's what, that's what we've kind of had over the year when that movie came out. It kind of led to that idea of, oh yeah, this is that zombie management technique. That, so you coined this? <laughs> no, I mean, I'm going to, I'm going to say it's, it's Brad Pitt in the movie. Um, but if you listen to some of those parts and 
you've heard of other things like Devil's Advocate. For me, when I watched it, it made so much sense. I was like, aha, like we could use this in business. This is this is something that we could apply to every day, which is making sure that we're not just going along with the status quo. We don't just keep doing the same thing, but we really do actually put something in place in our framework and how we operate that checks ourselves. And it's that trigger of asking ourselves questions, which goes back to, I think, thinking like a scientist. I love it. Since you mentioned Devil's Advocate and Brad Pitt, Brad Pitt or Keanu Reeves? (laughs) Wait, the Devil's Own? Wait, what did you say? Well, Devil's Advocate, that stars Keanu Reeves. So Brad Pitt or Keanu Reeves? Oh, Brad Pitt. Brad Pitt, all day. Yeah, I'm a Keanu guy, but I probably won't that. We'll have to stop this podcast. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, stay with me. I've got more questions. <laughs> um, so, you know, when we were talking previous to this, I want to kind of pivot to something that I think we can also still stay on topic, but also pivot to um, something that came up. We we're talking and and a suggestion from someone that was listening to one of our early podcasts was, you know, you should really just have a section called Passion Speak. And that really... Mm-hmm hit me because that's a lot of what I want to do with the guests is talk about these topics, but also get into really what are you passionate about um, in this space that, that we all um, are working in. So what is something you're really passionate about that, that you think we should uh, maybe expand on where we're at today, but talk a little bit more deeper in? My mind goes to allowing everyone a voice. And so if one side of the coin that we've been talking about is being curious and asking questions, then the other side of it has to be listening to what other people say and allowing for that new information. And so really, as leaders and HR companies, we need mechanisms in place to allow people to share their thoughts, their experiences, um, so that we can test our hypothesis, right? We can test our assumptions, So it doesn't have to be an exhaustive plan or strategy. It can be really simple and just putting out a question to people, but to everyone, to let them respond to, to uh, let them react to, and we get more real data that way by checking those things. Yeah, that's great. I mean, that's that's part of the reason why I work where I work, right? It's uh, I truly believe in giving people a voice, but once you give people a voice, you have to listen, not just take the feedback, give them a voice and listen to what they say. So what are the, some, what are some of the best practices you see for, you know, actioning what, what you hear and take as much of a scientific approach as you can to answer in this question to keep a, uh, keep on theme here. So it's asking questions, but it is creating triggers in our process that let us do those checks over time. Cause things are constantly changing, right? I mean, just look at what everything's that change over the, the last year and if we thought about how things were going to be or if, if it was going to work when people would go remote, right? Like years ago, people were talking about how no one will work if people were working from home. Like how would they ever be productive? They're just going to do their own thing. And we really got to test that and try it out um, and play that other side of it, which we would never have done if we weren't able to actually test that assumption. So a large part of it is just making sure that we are putting those checks and balances in place to regularly ask people what's going on and keep it simple. So it can't be something that we're just doing once a year, right? There's, there's too many things changing all the time. We are all human. Everything is changing in our work life and our personal life. So we constantly have to be doing checks as leaders 
to kind of figure out what's going on with people and just make that part of our regular practice. And the more we do it, it'll just become part of our routine. And then we can adjust more regularly as things are as things are going on in the company. Over the last year, what have you seen in the workplace that either confirms or disproves a hypothesis that you had? So I would say it's, we don't need to go back to what people keep referring to as a normal way of working, right? There was a set way that we worked maybe before 2020 that everyone thought it was the way that it had to be done, whether it was a certain way that you had to work in the office or your work hours. And I think what we've done is we've proved that we can be productive, we can be successful, we can actually be better humans if we are taking in consideration what best supports people to be able to do the whole person, the work side of what they do and their personal side. And so I feel like what we've been able to test is that we don't have to keep going back to the the old ways of working. There are new and better ways that actually fit with how we should look at working in the future. So Allie, what are the new and better ways of working that you're that you're talking about? Really, we're all people. We're all human. To me, it's continuing to try to understand that whole person. So it's understanding that we have our work lives and we have our personal lives. That's what makes up our days. And it's it's not separating them out into two buckets. They both impact each other. And as leaders, we have to recognize that. And so it's looking at what we can do to really help people be their best selves um, and what's going to make that difference. And so it is checking in with people and looking at putting in a, a cadence of, let's say, feedback, right? So we can keep checking in on how those experiences are going, what's going well, what's not going well. So we can react in a much um, timelier way than we have in the past. This is not something we ask about once a year, put in a plan, and then it takes us a year to execute that plan, and then things have already changed. So everything is happening in real time now. Um, and we should be, we have lots of tools, lots of technology that has improved that actually helps us react in a much more timely way. And that's really what we need to be doing, as well as just challenging ourselves to look at things differently. We've talked a lot about, you know, what changes have happened over the last year, what are some of the best practices we've learned. So now let's look forward. Given the data you've seen, given your opinions, given your training, what changes do you want to see in the workplace this year? I think it still goes back to recognizing that we're working with people and we have to put changes in place that are going to best support people because what is going to best support people is going to actually best support the business. So even though I don't have the answers for what that is going to look like and what exactly we should do, I think it's stopping and recognizing that Uh, We have to ask people what's going on. We have to do regular check-ins with people to understand what's working and what's not working. And if we listen to our employees, our colleagues, we can really better understand their needs. And then we can find that happy medium between what's going to work well for the business and what's going to work well for people and, and look at that together and just be curious about what that can, what that can be. So instead of trying to focus on putting things back, into the way they were working a year, two, three years ago. It's really taking those changes, all those things we've learned and applying them to what could be. So continuing to ask questions, continuing to be curious about what what can be done differently. Um, I think that's what's going to be really important to where we go and how we get there. So it sounds like you're not one of those people that just wants to get back to normal, huh? No, 
not interested in just getting back to normal, whatever normal was, but I'm not interested in just trying to put things back into a bucket of how they were. Yeah, I, I agree 100%. If you are comfortable sharing, do you have any personal examples of successes or failures? Yes. So I think they go together, really, because... What's successful to me is trying to learn from, I guess, what I would see as failures. So even if I look at the past year, year and a half, moving to completely being remote, which I am, um, I think, Tom, we've met maybe in person once, maybe twice, um, but everything's been this way. I'm talking to you, right? Um, Video chats. That is, that was awesome. And I was really proud of, I feel like, how well I was handling things when we all went remote, um, and everything all of a sudden was online, constant video, talking, which I'm not used to. So I think in my role, you know, we have, like, set meetings, um, but we have a lot of downtime. You get a lot of work done, and that's great. But what I found happening as soon as we went remote is all of a sudden I'm talking to people way more than I'm used to, and I realize that that's actually pretty hard for me to do. Because I'm used to having some downtime, collecting my thoughts, organizing things, and then having separate meetings, but just not being as extroverted, I think is just part of the reality of trying to realize that, yeah, how I work, I need to just make some adjustments so it can be successful. So all of a sudden, we're, we're having tons of video calls and chats, and I feel like I'm constantly on demand all day long, like early in the morning to evening. It slowly has become easier and better to realize to put boundaries to that, to talk to people about those things, to actually open up that communication. Because the reality is other people were feeling the exact same way. And I feel like we were putting so much pressure to make sure, oh, this is going to be really successful and we've got to be productive. We've got to show this. We were, but we didn't need to be killing ourselves to do it at the same point. So it was really just being much more transparent with communication. I feel like that's been much better for me, but it's also just stopping and realizing, okay, I wasn't that great at it. This is hard. It's hard to be on all the time. And so I have to take a step back from myself and just realize what do I need to do differently? Ask myself those questions, reflect on it, and then be willing to talk to other people about it too. You know, what are some of those boundaries that you've put in? I know I, me personally, I'm constantly looking at at refining and I'm sure a lot of our listeners are uh, still working on their best practices. So if you don't mind sharing, what are some of the boundaries or best practices that have helped you make that adjustment? For me, it's not feeling like I need to be on call all the time. Uh, That's just a personal thing for me. I don't mind working. I like working at different hours because I do um, appreciate the flexibility that I've always had with work. But it's also true that for myself, I do have to create downtime and I have to step away for myself especially if you think about screen time and how much you're on your phone and the computer and constantly have everything coming in. So what's been helpful is just making sure that I do have some set time where I actually turn off my notifications. I put my phone away, whether that's just even evening time, right? So time that you're not supposed to be working maybe anyway, depending on your your job, it's just making sure that I really actually set myself up for success and I actually put away those things that were distractions and did other things for myself. It seems so little and maybe simple, but it was really just making sure I actually physically put things away um, and turn them off so I wasn't tempted. One of the best things, best five minutes I've spent this year was going in and setting do not disturb parameters and all the various uh, apps and teams, uh, uh, text messages uh, that I have to just 
control what what shows up because I'm addicted to the red dot. So I need the red dot to go away and then I can relax. (laughs) Yeah. And I think another thing I just wanted to comment on that you mentioned was just, I I kept asking a lot of different questions. You kept saying, well, you got to ask, you got to listen. And I think in our HR community, we're out on Twitter and LinkedIn, everyone's always talking about like, this is how to do it right. And this is how how it should be. And this is how it should be. But then I started thinking, well, what about the people that aren't at a desk? What about the non-nine-to-fivers? And I think the key to everything we've talked about today is really listening, but then finding a solution that works for your organization and your people. And most of the time, they will tell you, and you will be able to see if you ask and if you listen. This has been great. Allie, any parting thoughts as we uh, as we wind down our episode here? No, I just appreciate that you took the time to stop, ask questions, have kind of discussion and learn about what else is going on around you. I do appreciate that. I think that's exactly what we all need to stop and, and do more of. Yeah, that's. Uh, I, I'm just another person in the audience here. I just happen to have a microphone. This is great, Allie. Uh, hopefully I will see you in person at some point down the road, but until then, you're doing a great job on Zoom. I want to thank all of our listeners for joining us. I want to thank our producer, Laura, our sponsor, People Element, and we will see you all down the road for the next episode. This is Tom Horn, and we've learned all about HR. Take care.